Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous broadcast, I was speaking about Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, where it says, But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? How is it that you continue to do that? That's what he was talking about here. Now, in the previous program, I only spoke about the first half of this verse where he said, but now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, I spent a lot of time in the previous program introducing this issue of being known by your God. And this is a very important subject. In most of the programs that I have produced, I spent a lot of time talking about the importance of knowing your God, that he is knowable and that he wants us to know who he is. He wants us to see the world through his eyes. He wants us to understand what is taking place around us as he understands what is taking place around us. He wants us to hear the world through his ears and to know him as an individual, as a person who is actively involved in the creation that he made, who is a participant in our lives. He wants us to know the depths of his heart, the depths of his being, the depths of his heart. He wants us to know who he is in a personal, intimate way. I've spent a lot of time talking about that, but in the previous program, I introduced through Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, the importance of considering that maybe he wants to know you as well. Now, the reason why we know that God is knowable is because he has clearly shown us that he has established certain things, that he has established fundamental truths in this universe. And these are things that will never change. And because of these truths and because he is the author of them and because he lives by them, he as an individual is knowable because of his consistency, because of his trustworthiness, because of who he is as a being, one who will reveal some things to us and we can trust and believe that those things will never change. And because of that, we can say in this simple way, that he is knowable. Now, of course, I understand that there are many things about who he is that we will never know, that we can never possibly understand. That I realize, but that there are some things that are knowable. Now, when I spoke about the issue that he wants to know us, I raised the question, I raised the issue of what makes us knowable. This is a very important issue. It's a very important question that needs to be addressed. What is it that makes us knowable that he can say he knows us, that he can utilize in order to say such a thing? What is it about us that he can know and know in a fundamental way 
that he can know us in a way that he can continue to relate to us, he can continue to have a relationship with us, knowing and trusting that we will never change in that aspect of our lives. What is it about us? Well, that was my point. My point in the previous program was that we are not knowable. We are not knowable when we do not know him and we do not know the truth that he has revealed. And the reason why is because we will change. We will continue to live our lives changing our beliefs, changing our attitudes, the way that we perceive the world that we are a part of and the way that we perceive ourselves and others will constantly change. Everything about us will change. A great philosopher said once that the only thing that is permanent in life is change. That's one way to look at us and our lives and the world that we are a part of. But when you perceive something that is constantly changing, you can never truly say that that thing or this person in this context is going to be knowable, not in the way that God is knowable. And so I explained in the previous program that until a person establishes their foundation, their stability, their reality on the basis of what God has revealed, until that happens, they will never have an established identity. They will never have an established personhood, an established set of convictions, beliefs, etc. They will never be a stable individual who he can look at and see and say that I truly know who that person is. He will never be able to say that. Now, I explained in the previous program also that this can be very threatening to a religious individual, a person who is devoted in their lives to trying to restrain their flesh. I'm defining a religious individual in that context that this person does not want God to know who they are. The reason why they do not want God to know who they are is because they will never restrain their flesh adequately to the extent where they will not be ashamed before their God. This is why a religious person does not want God to know them. They might be okay with knowing him, but the idea of him knowing them, that can be a little threatening. And so I mentioned this in the previous program, and I want to mention it again in this program, because it's a very important issue. It's a very real issue that people deal with, and they may not be willing to confess that this is something that they deal with. But the reality is, in my opinion, this must be real. The reality must be that they live in shame and embarrassment, and on that basis, they probably want to hide from their God. And this desire to hide from God and to kind of squeak into heaven without him noticing, or to say that, yes, they're okay with him and he's kind of okay with them, but that's that's good enough, that's all we need, let's not go any further. The reason why people do this is because deep down inside they are ashamed they should be, and they they believe that God holds their sins against them, and so they don't want him to know who they are, and as a result, they also may not want to know him for who he is any much more than perhaps he might want to know who they are. Now, there are many indicators in a religious person's life that you could probably look at that would give you an indication that this is possibly the case. For one thing, speak with somebody about the idea of knowing God. 
and see how far you get with that. You probably will notice that you don't get very far with them. How about asking them, so how does God see you? How does God know you? And see how far you get with a question like that. But if you don't have much of an opportunity to have a deep conversation with an individual like that, consider other aspects of their lives. What does their life really look like that would indicate that they live in fear of God and that they do not want God to see who they are or know who they are? One of the important indicators, and this definitely is not always the case, but one of the important indicators is that they have a religious leader in their lives. They have a pastor or a priest or a minister. They have someone who is considered to be a religious authority who lives in their life as if they are an intermediary between them and God. They are either an intermediary in the sense of forgiveness that this person is necessary in order to continually get right with God, to deal with your sin. They may look at this individual in that sense, or they may look at this individual in the context of teaching and instruction, studying the Bible and speaking about the Bible, things like that. An individual might look at a pastor in this context because they don't want God to know them. I've known people who've made jokes saying things like, well, as long as we've got this guy who's in front talking to us, you know, if he's wrong, then I believe that God will strike him down first, you know, or if something wrong goes here in this congregation, something happens in the sense of corruption or embezzlement or something like that, well, then God's going to take out the head guy. We need the head guy. To me, that is an indicator that the people are looking at this person as a way out. They are using this person as an individual who can protect them, who will protect them from God. Protect them in the sense that he's the one who will go and talk with God. He's the one who God will speak to. This person is the intermediary. He's the protection. He's the person who God knows so that he doesn't know us. And in that way, we can be safe. We can be okay. We have no need to be afraid. That other guy, though, you know, that leader, he's got a few reasons to be afraid, and he better not step out of line because God will definitely take care of him, right? This is what people think. This is how people believe. And I believe that the root of it is a desire to hide from God. It is out of a desire to keep him from knowing them, and it is out of a desire that they do not really want to know much more about who he is. And what they know for now is good enough, and it's pretty frightening as it is. You know, if he holds their sins against them, then that's a lot to take in. That's a lot to deal with already. Don't give me any more to deal with. And in addition to that, they may also not really want to know about him or what he's doing or what he's participating in. This is a serious problem. Now, what is the root of these issues? The root of these issues, again, is the issue of forgiveness. That is the real root issue. Because if a person will rest in the forgiveness of sins, then they will realize the truth that he does not hold their sins against them, and everything else will unfold from there. I have talked with so many people, so many people, about the subject of forgiveness. And when a person finally embraces the truth that God does not hold their sins against them anymore, and for many reasons, when they finally embrace that, it is then that they truly begin to grow and mature. 
they are no longer afraid to know their God, and they will listen to what he might share. And when he illuminates something, as I mentioned in the previous program, when he illuminates something to you, shows you something, then that is proof, that is evidence that he knows who you are. It's not just an opportunity for you to see him for who he is. This is also an opportunity for you to see that he knows who you are. And this is something that you can be thankful for. Now, under the law, this is not possible because the law will always tell you that he holds your sins against you. It doesn't matter what the law is. Any form of law, any system of principles of daily living, no matter what you want to call it, anything that leads you to believe that he holds your sins against you in any way whatsoever will take you away from this. It will take you away from this and you will be in bondage. And that's what the second half of this verse is about. Galatians chapter 4 verse 9 where he said again, but now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Now, it doesn't matter if they're turning back to Judaism or turning back to whatever pagan religion they were a part of before. They all operate under the same principle, and that is that God holds your sins against you. You better get your flesh under control. It's all the same. It's all fundamentally the same. It's the way of life. And this way is defined by rules, by principles, by philosophies. These are the ways of religion. And when you turn back to that, you are going to go back to bondage. Why? Because the law stirs up sin. It stirs up sin in several different ways. Through the natural rebellion of humanity, we have a tendency to want to be on our own, independent, and be our own gods through giving us things to do that we never thought about doing before, and we start to do those things, then what happens when we believe that we are obedient to God? Then we've got the religious pride to deal with. But the worst part of all, the worst part of this bondage that is so hard to escape is when you think that your God is disgusted with you, when you think that he doesn't accept you, it is then that you are finally condemned to live in this world trying to obtain love and acceptance in this world and that will always lead to sin this will always lead to bondage the law was given for this purpose it was given to do this so that we would finally realize that this bondage is just that it's bondage and so get away from it and this is your way out this is your only way out it is forgiveness it is your only way there is no other way This is the one option. This is the one opportunity. This is what God has provided. He has provided a new life according to the new covenant. And forgiveness is the door that is now open to you. But you must walk through it. You must believe. And you must now live your life on the basis of that truth. And I believe that if you will, that he will open heaven to you in a way that you cannot possibly imagine. Now, the Apostle Paul continues into verse 10. He says, you observe days and months and seasons and years in order to give an example, an example of what they were doing. Because 
you know, this is what happens. A lot of people will say, okay, yeah, we definitely don't want to go back to the sacrificial part of the law. We don't want to do that. That would be too obvious, right? So we don't want to do that. But how about the moral part of the law? We should definitely put ourselves under bondage to the moral aspects of the law, right? I mean, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Well, it makes perfect sense if you believe that the Christian life has a place somewhere between the indulgence of the flesh and restraint of the flesh, that the Christian life is somewhere in between there, that for the most part we lean a little bit more towards the restraint of the flesh, but because we're never going to be able to completely restrain the flesh, we still have a little bit of indulgence. And so the Christian life supposedly is somewhere between indulgence and restraint, and we try to find some happy place in between. And that's what people think the Christian life is about. But it's not. It's about something entirely different, completely different. And when you realize that it is completely different, it is trivial, it is simple, it is easy to let go of the moral aspects of the law because you will see, you will know, and you will appreciate, you will experience the reality that when he changes a person's heart, they will not sin against others in a moral context. You won't do that. Listen, I don't live by the restraint of the flesh, and I don't live by the indulgence of the flesh. And if you were to evaluate my life, it's pretty good. I mean, if you consider me in comparison with somebody else, I'm sure I could find somebody I could compare myself with, right? But do you hear the emptiness of that? I mean, it's totally empty. There is nothing there for me to say, yeah, I'm pretty good. But my point is, is to say that when I say no to sin, when I choose not to commit a moral violation of somebody else, I don't do it because the law says don't do it. I do it because he has changed who I am in the deepest part of my being because of the relationship that I have with him that I never had and never could have under the law. I am testifying to you that there is a third way of life. And until you step into it, you're never going to begin to understand what it truly is. I can only tell you about it. But there is a big difference between telling you about it and you actually knowing it and experiencing it. And let me tell you something. If you're unsure about this, I've got to tell you. I'm going to tell you right now that you cannot look into the new life in Christ and accept it or reject it. In other words, you can't evaluate it and say, okay, sounds like it's going to work out just fine. And so I approve. I will go ahead and enter into that. No, this is not about approval. This is about surrender. You're going to have to surrender to God. You're going to have to surrender to his forgiveness and his mercy. And you're going to have to surrender to the life that he has presented to you. If you don't do that, if you go into this with this thought or this belief or this attitude that you're making some agreement with God, forget it. You're never going to experience it. You're never going to realize the reality of who he is and who you are in light of who he is. You're never going to experience that because you still have not submitted to the king. You have not bowed the knee to the king. You have not subjected yourself to the living God. You are still holding on to yourself as if you are something, as if you are a part of what he is doing. But you're not. Not in this way. He will allow you to be a participant. But if you want a role, if you want a part, if you want approval, If you want something like this, forget it. It's just not there. There is only surrender. 
There is no commitment. There is no acceptance. There is only surrender, nothing else. Now, he talks about days, months, seasons, years. He didn't talk about the sacrificial system. He didn't mention the Ten Commandments. He said days. Now, of course, the Sabbath day could probably fit into that. But he's talking about aspects of the law that we would consider to be somewhat unimportant in comparison with others. And I believe he did this on purpose. I do. Looking at what he wrote, I think Paul did this on purpose, that he picked the part of a law that's probably the easiest to obey, the easiest to obey, to observe a day, to observe a month, a season, whatever. Do you understand how easy that is? Do you understand how simple that is? You know, I hear people say things on occasion, things like, oh yes, we observed this festival, we observed the Sabbath day, we observed the Feast of Tabernacles, as if somehow that's impressive. I mean, anybody can do that. You don't even have to believe that there's a God in order to do that. Why would I say such a thing? Because I know people. I know people who don't even believe that there's a God who observed these things all the time. I believe that Paul intentionally picked these in order to exaggerate the point, exaggerate and show just how ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous it is to live a life like this when you have the opportunity to know your God and for him to know you. When you have the opportunity to have a relationship with him and you turn him down in favor of things like this, that is ridiculous. Do you not know what the law says? The law says nothing about having a relationship with your God. Nothing at all. That's what I mean, is that if you know the law, you should know full well that exchanging the law for the opportunity to have a relationship with your God, that exchange is not worth it. Now, I mentioned earlier that a person is not going to be that knowable because of the changes that they will experience dynamically. But, you know, when it comes to religion, there is an opportunity for consistency. There is a real opportunity for consistency. And this is another issue that can make it very difficult for a person to embrace what I'm saying. Because a person can perhaps be knowable by their consistency in their religion. But this is what makes it so deceptive. What makes it so deceptive is that even though you might live your entire life from the womb to the tomb in the same religion, with the same system of bondage, even though you may never change what you believe, you may never change your practices or your observances or whatever, that still does not make you knowable to God. Because... You are living in a personal fantasy when you think that your God relates to you in a way that he doesn't. When you think that he is one way, but he is not. You see, you live in a lie. You live in a fantasy. And so even though you may be consistent, you are consistently without the truth. You are consistently living in emptiness in nothing, which makes you, again, unknowable. I should have mentioned that a little bit earlier, but I just remembered it, and so I thought I'd mention it before I ended this program. So, continuing into verse 11, this is Galatians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, I am afraid for you, 
lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. In other words, listen, this is not about me. I don't care what you believe for my own sake. I care what you believe for your sake, because I don't want you to live in bondage. Listen, when I produce these radio programs and I broadcast them and I make them available for people throughout the world over the Internet and things like that, you think I do this just because it makes me feel good or because I am worried about my own personal well-being? I don't do that. I mean, I certainly enjoy telling people about the truth that God has revealed to me as I understand it. I enjoy that. I am thankful for that. But if you don't want to believe me, then that's... That's that's up to you. That's your problem. That's not my problem. That's not my issue. That's not my concern. If you don't agree with me, good for you. I would only encourage you to make sure that you've got some good reasons as to why you don't. And if that's the way it is, then that's the way it is. I'm telling you this because I really believe that this is the truth. And if you don't want to accept it, if you don't want to believe it, well, then that's your problem. You don't need to argue with me about it. You don't need to bring me into this concern. I don't really want you to believe these things because I say them either. I want you to believe these things and to know these things because he reveals these things to you. And I believe that he can confirm the depths of your being that what I am telling you is true. I am looking for that. I am hoping for that and praying for that because I know that without his confirmation, there is no way that what I say will have any real impact in anyone's life, in your life, it will not until he shows you that it is the truth. And if he allows me to be a participant in this communication in order to reveal who he is to you, then I will be thankful for that. But make no mistake, if you don't want to believe the truth that God has revealed, that's between you and him. It's not between you and I. Now, in the following verses, the Apostle Paul proceeds and he talks about something that you might think is unrelated to what he just said. But it is not. I've seen a lot of commentators talk about this. I've seen a lot of things that people have written about this. And personally, I think people in general miss completely what he's talking about. He talks about the infirmity that he had. But I am out of time for this program, and so I will continue in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net that you may-